This podcast is a product of the 4th and Inches Network. A podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW. Enjoy the show and go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. My name is Warren Maynard and with me is my guest host, Mark Schmore. I'm the dog, he's the duck, and uh, we are glad to have you with us as a part of the Real Dog and Fourth and Inches Network. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Mark, as I always begin this time, how are you doing, my friend? I am uh, doing fantastic, Warren. Uh, I am married to a uh, Steph, and I am father to a Luca. And tomorrow night, Western Conference Finals, it's going to be Steph versus Luca. You know, for the next two weeks, and that's just that's that's great drama. It's going to be really interesting in my home. There's going to be you know different rooting interests, so I couldn't be more excited about it. What an incredible intro, Mark. You you really nailed it with that. And uh, as you shared before on the show, your wife is a, a Golden State Warriors fan. You married into the a Warriors family. Uh, but Luca, your son, is not named after Luca Doncic, the basketball player. No, and it's it's actually spelled differently. He's got a C, and Luca the Maverick has a K in his spelling. But, uh, you know, it's still the same name, and uh, he obviously is not old enough. He's five months, so he's not old enough to officially declare whether he's a Luca fan or not. But I'm, I'm just kind of guessing that, you know, when he's seven or eight and Luca has been the best player in the league for five years in a row, he's not going to be a Luca hater. Like, you know, he's, this is true. I think he's uh, similar to how my wife has gravitated towards the player that shares her name. Well, hopefully, hopefully it won't be a negative thing like it was for my wife growing up. Her name is Leah, but she grew up in the era of Star Wars and everybody called her Leia. Oh, yeah. And, uh, as a result, she has a, a deep-seated distaste for all things Star Wars. So oh, hopefully such a tragedy would not befall your little boy that he would grow up disliking the NBA as a result of a name. Yeah, yeah, we hopefully not, sure. Well, as we always do, we like to begin our show with some dog and duck news. That's the name of our show is the Dog and Duck Show, but we talk about a lot of things. We'll be getting into the NBA here in just a few minutes. But um, Mark, I think one of the things I like about the fact that we've got this show that goes year round is that when there is dog and duck news we're there to cover it we're there to talk about it and uh, even if it's just minor we can get into it uh but even when there's not dog or duck news we can continue to produce uh sports content and uh and, and enjoy this time together so as far as the dog goes i think the big story over the last couple of days is the addition of two new players through the transfer portal um, Monday evening, the Huskies got a commitment from junior college outside linebacker Sakai Afoa Asua. 
Uh, he's a six foot five, 265 pound uh, transfer. And uh, he'll have, I believe, uh, three, four years to play three with the Huskies. And then Tuesday afternoon, the Huskies got a commitment from uh, middle linebacker Chris Mole, who uh, originally transferred from UAB to Central Florida in April, but is now committed to the Huskies. And uh, that middle linebacker position is definitely a, a place of great need. So the depth that uh, we have there is really, really shallow. So definitely a, an important need-based pickup for the Huskies. But Mark, before you get, you know, your, your, your duck claws out on this one, I just have to tell you, as a Husky true and blue fan, when I saw these recruits uh, sign, I was a little bit unimpressed. I, I looked both of these guys up. They didn't have a lot of offers. Um, they were both two stars coming out of high school, um, not super highly rated in the 247 transfer portal uh, ranking system. So for me, I, I my immediate reaction was, okay, these are a couple of two stars out of the junior college junk drawer. Um, but there may be a little bit more to the story to these guys than my first impression uh, allowed for me. I think one of them is Afoa, who had about 15 offers, but they were all really small schools, nondescript, certainly no... Um, you know, colleges that we want to compare ourselves to. But after he visited the University of Washington this weekend, he just got an offer from USC. So I guess the question I might have is, is USC as desperate as the Huskies or does this validate this, this offer from the Huskies as maybe being a little bit more legit than initially thought? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's so hard for you as a fan or for us as fans to evaluate these things because, you know, I'm guessing you didn't watch a single snap of a UAB football game. Not at all. Right, you know. Uh, and and even if you did, even if you happened to watch their bowl game, you probably won't, weren't hyper-focused on what the middle linebacker of the UAB defense was doing throughout that game. And so you know, we're just kind of looking at it and we tend to kind of evaluate these things as like, well, what was his recruiting ranking coming out of high school? Was he like an all-conference player or what kind of draft stock does he have? Or, you know, we're kind of looking for these metrics, but the guys that are offering scholarships have watched hours and hours and hours of film. They're not just kind right. of throwing out, uh, especially at this time of year where we're now, you know, weeks into it. I think when, when, some big name kind of first puts their name in the transfer portal. They're probably getting offers before somebody's really digested the film. But if you're a, a middle linebacker from kind of a second tier program that's looking to transfer to a place like a USC or a Washington, they're really breaking down film to try to get a clear understanding of, is this guy a contributor? You know, is this the type of guy that we could put in a game and he would make plays for us? So I tend to think, you know, uh, 
what his recruiting ranking was at high school at this point is, is kind of irrelevant. Like he was good enough, had good enough film while at UAB for two different Pac-12 schools, upper tier Pac-12 schools to look at him on film and say, this is a guy we're interested in. So I would say to be encouraged by that. Well, you know, hopefully we don't lose him to USC now as a result of this, but I would think the offer from USC, at least on some level for me, makes me feel a little bit better that, okay, this guy, you know, has the potential to be a Pac-12 contributor. And maybe that's the, the best expectation that you should have for a guy at this, at this stage. The other guy, Chris Mole, uh, the middle linebacker, he's got a really interesting story, Mark. In fact, um, you may remember about a month and a half ago, uh, The Athletic did an article about um, the danger of getting stuck in the transfer portal. And it was about the 500 plus players that had entered the transfer portal and had yet to find a, a team to go to. And the feature of the story is this young man, Chris Mull, who had been a, a two-time all-conference USA middle linebacker. He was really lightly regarded coming out of high school. He's 5'10", 190 pounds coming out of high school. He's grown a little bit. He's six foot, six foot one now. When he's you know at his best condition, he's 220 pounds. Um, so he's still small. He's still a tweener, but... He, he made it work and he showed he had the instincts to do well. So he entered the transfer portal, got a lot of interest from a, a number of Power 5 teams, but then totally misplayed the, his hand in the portal and found himself really on the outside looking in when all of the dust had settled with the initial wave. So for him, he's an interesting guy that I think a lot of Husky fans are going to be curious to see does he belong on this team? He's, he's kind of undersized. He's a, a tweener, but could he be a poor man's Ben Burkirvan? You know, only time will tell. Yeah. It, interesting story indeed. And, and I just want to apologize to our listeners because I, I definitely conflated these two linebackers into one linebacker. So a FOA is the one who got the offer from, from USC. USC he was right. the junior college player. Mole was from uh, was from UAB. He did not get an offer from USC, and I, I conflated those two in my my analysis. Totally easy, easy to do, yeah. The point remains is that whether it's a junior college player or a guy from UAB, they're breaking down uh, a lot of film on these guys, and uh, and it, it, it's interesting, you know, that whole dilemma of you know that you could kind of go into a transfer portal and then kind of find yourself in a no man's land as teams start filling up their spots, and it becomes difficult to get noticed. And so I think if you're Washington, you're right now, you're just kind of hoping that this is a diamond in the rough. I kind of look at this as like, like when the Seahawks draft a guy in the seventh round Mm -hmm. because they need to, you know, Washington probably has a spot and they figured it made sense to, to use that scholarship on a, on a linebacker, you know, based on where they needed the depth. Uh, But you know, when the Seahawks draft a guy in the seventh round, they're not necessarily expecting him to play right away, but they're kind of looking at it as, Hey, this guy, might have something 
that makes us glad that we picked him. And I think that's, that's what you've got to be hoping here for mole is just that you lucked out in, in getting someone that a lot of other teams happen to overlook. Yeah. So definitely fills some positions of weakness. Time will tell whether or not these guys can really deliver anything of value on the field. But like I said, more to the story than meets the eye. And if you haven't had a chance to read that article from the Atlantic, uh, check it out. Uh, it was really well done and gives a lot of insight into the way that these guys are thinking and experiencing the transfer portal in 2022. Uh, Mark, anything happening in the world of Duck News that we want to make mention of? Just just one thing. Uh, it came out this week that several of the big, uh, the upper tier non-conference games were kind of swallowed up by different TV networks. And so some kickoff times were formalized. And so for Oregon and their season opener against Georgia on us, I believe that's Saturday, September 3rd. It'll be a 12:30 Pacific time kickoff on ESPN. Uh, so really a marquee time slot there for, for Oregon season opener against Georgia. And the thing that this put into my mind, Warren, is as I mentioned, I'm a father of a five-month-old who, you know, by September would be what a nine-month-old the biggest thought that I have is, you know, what is his nap schedule going to look like at that time of his <laughs> life? And, you know, does yeah. it, does it play along with a 1230 kickoff time? You mm. know, um, cause I think what you're really interested in is that, that stretch from like two 30 to three 30 mm. is really crunch time. And so yeah. what I see is I've got four months now to kind of help Luca get on, a, get on a nap schedule where maybe from like two 30 to four, he's just kind of, Kind of going down now. As a dad of two uh, now grown children, I would say good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work that way, you're saying? Uh, I would say that the odds are not in your favor on on that. But hey, I could be proven wrong, and maybe uh, maybe your Luca, uh, like the Luca Donkic we'll be talking about in just a moment, will deliver in crunch time. Uh, so yeah. Well, hey, let's speaking of NBA, let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit of NBA, do a quick roundup uh, about what happened um, this past weekend, and then we'll look ahead uh, to the uh, the conference championships that are that are looming right ahead of us. So um, I'll kind of walk through these from what I would say were the least interesting to the most interesting over the last few days. And um, maybe just give any feedback or commentary you've got you uh, you've got about the series. So the Warriors um, overcame a jawless uh, Grizzlies team in six games. Uh, really, the the Warriors played pretty uninspired for a lot of the series, but uh, Clay Thompson did put up thirty points and. Um, you got to think that a uh, a Warriors team with Clay Thompson putting up 30 is uh, a pretty tough out in, in this conference finals. But let's before we talk about that, any thoughts about uh, the the Warriors win over the Grizzlies? The biggest thing uh, to take away from that series, I agree with you. Warriors look uh, completely uninspired at times. Uh, completely blown out of the water in game five did everything they could to lose game four before pulling it out in the last minute uh 
didn't really take over the final game, game six, until the last six minutes or so. Uh, but here is my one kind of takeaway if, if we're looking at a bigger narrative, and that is that Memphis is the best rebounding team in the league all season long. And the Warriors, with a small lineup, out-rebounded them in five of the six games. Every, everything except that, that massive blowout in game five. And what that meant in, uh, in game six was an incredible display of gang rebounding for the Warriors. They grabbed 25 offensive rebounds. Kevon Looney led the way with 22 rebounds. Draymond Green had 16. Andrew Wiggins had 10. Curry and Thompson even had eight and seven, which when you're getting, when your guards are getting seven or eight rebounds a piece, in addition to three guys that are in double digits, I mean, that's an incredible team rebounding performance, again, against the best rebounding team in the league and a team that was only more fit to rebound with jaw out of the lineup they weren't losing anything there so if if i'm looking you know ahead at, at like the warriors chances i would say well if they can win we know that they're going to win a lot of shooting battles if they can win some rebounding battles and like they did against memphis just create a ton of extra possessions because they're cla- clashing the offensive glass crashing the offensive glass then that's what makes me uh, a little more hopeful about the Warriors going forward, despite their kind of lackadaisical effort at times against Memphis. Yeah, well, of course, in California, if they if they want to clash the offensive grass, they could do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> they could. Um, I don't know if that would help them though. That's true. That's true. All right, so the the Warriors are taking are on to the next. Uh, let's talk about the Miami Heat. They uh, took out the 76ers in six games, 99-90 in their final game. Uh, really, to me, it's a disappointment to me that we couldn't have seen this 76ers team really at full strength. Uh, Joel Embiid was was injured. Um, you know, James Harden really didn't do much, only put up 11 points. Um, this team just seemed to kind of sputter and run out of gas before they really had the opportunity to, to make a dent in the playoffs. Any thoughts about uh, this series, Mark? Well, I'm, I'm going to embarrass my dad briefly here. Uh, if he's listening, he'll know this is coming. Uh, we watched the end of game four together in which James Harden had his best game of the series, scored over 30 points, made a couple huge shots down the stretch. And my dad watched this and kind of said, essentially, well, I think Harden is a man on a mission. This is his time. And I said, dad, like James Harden has had a playoff track record, like no, other super steeple fold down the stretch in the rest of the series like just sucking you in right now and, and we had a we had a debate about this and i said dad i will i, I will keep you posted with every james play james harden playoff game from here on out i'm going to text you afterwards well he had a, a really terrible game five that i texted him about and my dad said you know hey let's wait till the end of the series game six came around and as you mentioned he scored just 11 points i think he took just two shots in the last 30 minutes of the game. And I f- managed to find a video clip of Stephen A. Smith <laughs> just going all in on James Harden, referring to it as an impotent performance 
and a basketball atrocity and all of this other stuff. And so I just, I texted my dad that video and I said, this is your final James Harden update of the season. And uh, when, when we spoke on the phone last, he acknowledged that maybe his, uh, his faith in Harden was a little, a little premature. So that, that was my biggest takeaway from, uh, from the Heat's victory over the 76ers was just James Harden uh, continuing to be exactly who James Harden has been. I love it. I love it. And, and Mark, I don't know if you know this about me, about me, but I am a hardcore Simpsons fan. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen the parody character of Stephen A. Smith on the show, but his name is Anger Watkins. And it is just hilarious. (laughs) Hilarious. So I can totally see that caricature of Stephen A. Smith just ranting and raving and saying, you know, he's impotent. And oh man, that's that's hilarious. Well, um, yeah, he the the Anger Watkins character is an analyst for ESBN on The Simpsons. But um, <laughs> all right, so. So the, the Heat dispatched uh, the, the 76ers without a lot of fight. Uh, Jimmy Butler uh, has just continued to perform excellently, uh, putting up 32 points in that game six. And uh, they're, they're coming into uh, their, their conference uh, championship game with a lot of confidence. But let's move on to the next uh, game, the Celtics over the Bucks in seven. So the Boston Celtics, uh, who started the season uh, below 500, um, de- you know, defeat, I would say a wounded uh, defending champion in uh, the Milwaukee yeah. Bucks playing without their number two, Chris Middleton. But they had to overcome really one of the greatest series performances in all time by Giannis. Uh, I mean, Giannis's final game, he put up 46 points and 20 rebounds. He, he, he almost, he almost carried the, the bucks uh, to victory, but, but this Celtics team has a lot of weapons that seem to be playing with a lot of confidence right now. Yeah, I think if you're if you're talking about like the stock of of teams in the playoffs, the Celtics are the team whose stock has risen the most because you know, remember they started the playoffs against Brooklyn and had a thrilling game 1 of that series against uh Durant and Kyrie Irving and it felt like oh the winner of the Boston Brooklyn series is going to be a real threat, you know, potentially to come out of the East and then they end up winning three more against Brooklyn in succession. So they swept Durant and Kyrie Irving out of the playoffs. Then they come in, they've got to play the defending champs granted without Middleton, but you mentioned Giannis who's putting up huge box scores every night. They get past uh, Giannis and the bucks. Now they've got to play the heat, but it just seems like this team is more battle tested. You know, we talked about the warriors kind of having a lackadaisical effort at times. Boston has not looked lackadaisical at all even in the games that they're losing 
they're losing in, in the final minute because, you know, somebody like Giannis or Drew Holiday is just making some incredible plays to beat them. I think if they end up losing to Miami, it they're not going to get blown out of the gym the way, uh, you know, the Golden State was in game five of their series. So Boston is kind of that team where it's like, hey, uh, there's something brewing here. They had a really slow start to the season about halfway through the year. They didn't look like uh, really a playoff contender even. Uh, they were under 500 until about game 40. But man, have they found a gear. They play incredible team defense. Uh, they've got a lot of bodies that they can throw at players like Kevin Durant and Giannis. Uh, and they've been doing enough on offense led by Jason Tatum, who's emerging as a, as a tier one superstar that I, I kind of have Boston as, as my favorite going forward. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a couple of minutes, but sorry, I jumped it. I jumped ahead there, you know, no, no worries, but I mean, uh, and I actually, uh, you know, to use your word conflated, I actually conflated some of the statistics. So in game six, Giannis had 44 uh, points and 20 rebounds game seven. He had 25 points and 20 rebounds, but nonetheless, uh, he was a man on a mission, and he did everything in his power to try to get that team back into the conference uh, championships. But really, the guy that made the difference, I think, in Game 7 was Grant Williams, um, who uh, was just left alone out in the three-point land. And uh, the, the Bucks dared him to beat them by three-pointer. And he came through and that really, uh, that 27 points really was the, you know, the difference for the Celtics team in game seven. Grant Williams, he was absolutely the unsung hero. And then I got to give a shout out to my Oregon, Oregon guy, Peyton Pritchard. You know, we talked about Dylan Brooks on the podcast last week, yeah. uh, but Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench for the Celtics had 14 points, buried four threes, uh, was also a real difference maker in the second half. And if you look at just what like Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard did combining for 41, and then you look at what the role players for Milwaukee did, Wesley Matthews, three points, Grayson Allen, one point, Pat Connaughton, two points, George Hill, zero points. I mean, they come, those guys combined for over 80 minutes of game time and finished what, what is that? Six points combined in 80 minutes from essentially your top four guards. Uh, whereas Peyton Pritchard by himself is scoring 14, Grant Williams is scoring 27. So just a real team effort by mm -hmm. the Celtics to dispatch a Milwaukee team that was so dependent on Giannis there at the end. All right, so as I said, um, you know, going from the, the, the least interesting to the most interesting, it's not that often that a blowout is the most interesting game of a weekend. But in this case, in my opinion, the Mavericks blowout of the Suns in game seven in Phoenix, defeating them 123 to 90 was the story of the NBA weekend because Luka Doncic just destroyed. I mean, he just taunted this uh, Phoenix Suns team 
and outscored the Phoenix Suns in the first half. So, so in the first half, the first half score was uh, 57 to 27 in favor of the, the Dallas Mavericks. And Luka Doncic personally had scored more points than the Phoenix Suns in the first half. He basically didn't play the fourth quarter at all uh, and still finished with 35 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, and uh, really just in a critical crunch time, clutch moment, Luka Doncic has come through again, this time providing the victory uh, for his team and uh, taking them to their first uh, conference championship since he joined the team in 2018. This was uh, an absolutely staggering, staggering loss, Warren. I mean, I, I think th this has got to go down in one of the worst, one of the worst losses in all of playoff history, if, if not the worst. I mean, when you're talking about a team that won 64 games, a team that was healthy going into this game. I mean, I mean, they were relatively healthy, right? Like Chris Paul maybe seemed like he was a little banged up, but like they had all of their guys. It wasn't like they were missing Devin Booker. Like they were in the first round, like they had everyone playing. They had the home court advantage uh, at one point earlier, you know, when, when Dallas uh, won game three, it was a big deal because Phoenix had beaten Dallas 11 straight times. So this is a team that like Phoenix has had their number before, and then they just completely fall apart and get run out of their own building in a game seven is, I mean, it's staggering. It is the most surprising result of this year's playoffs, uh, but really the most surprising result of like a recent playoff that I can think of. Not that they lost. Like if you told me, well, Phoenix lost game seven because Luca had, you know, 40 points, that wouldn't surprise me. But, um, but this one was shocker. All right, so let's take a look ahead at uh, this weekend's slate of games. We've got the Celtics versus the Heat and the Mavericks versus the Warriors. This is probably not the final four that a lot of people anticipated, but I'm really excited about this. these two series. I think it presents a lot of drama. I think it presents an opportunity for some guys to really take the stage and uh, make their mark in the NBA and, and uh, you know, begin to cement a legacy. And, uh, you know, let's just do some rapid fire type response here. And uh, let's start off with looking at these final four teams, Celtics, Heat, Mavericks, Warriors, which is the best team overall? Yeah, I, well, I already said earlier in this pod that I thought Boston was kind of the new favorite. And, and I think I would still lean in that direction, even knowing that they lost game one against uh, Miami. I think there was a lot in that game that kind of just went Miami's way that I don't necessarily look as a harbinger of things to come. Uh, I just think Boston is the most battle-tested, having, having beaten Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee, having gotten by Durant and Giannis. Um, they've arguably beaten the two best players in the world already. So... Uh, I'm I'm going to say Boston is is the best overall team. I think they bring the most to the table. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I mean, I think Boston's a really solid choice. I'm I'm gonna go with the Warriors on this one. Um, and I think you know you use the term 
battle tested. And I think if you're looking at the four teams left in this championship, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, those guys know how to get it done in the conference championships and uh, the, the playoffs. So, so I think that team dynamic plus the addition of Jordan Poole and maybe the extra juice that he can bring on a day or a game where maybe one of those uh, big three is not quite firing on all cylinders. I like, I like that, uh, that lineup in the crunch time season. So, so, so you say the, the Boston Celtics, great pick. I'm going with the Warriors. How about the best player in the remaining four teams? The best individual superstar left to play. So this may be some recency bias, but I'm having a hard time finding someone that's playing better than Jimmy Butler is right now. And obviously he had a huge game one against Boston, I believe uh, finished with 41 points. So that's fresh in my mind as I'm saying this, but uh, he has just been brilliant. I think there's, you know, every team's got an argument for a guy, you know, Boston fans are going to say. And I, and you can't really go wrong with any of those choices. All of those guys are capable of owning a series, you know, so, so nothing would really surprise me from any of them, but I feel like Jimmy Butler is kind of the one that, that just feels like he's the most locked in right now on a game to game basis where every single game he's exerting his will over the opponent. Wow. I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I, I was not expecting a Jimmy Butler. I mean, it's a good, it's a good pick. He, it makes sense. Um, to me, I thought this was a, a slam dunk. I mean, to me, I think Luca is the, the best individual player left in the series. Uh, I mean, he's, He's averaging over 31 points a game, 10 rebounds, uh, six and a half assists. And, you know, you talk about recency bias, but I mean, when you look at what he did in game seven against the number one seed on their home court and just the cold blooded assassin type of, uh, you know, approach that he took to that game. I'm not going to bet against Luca in any of these environments, even though I don't know if they have the best team. I think he's the best player uh, left in this playoffs. So, so I, I don't have any argument against that. The only thing that I would say is that uh, Jimmy Butler has been on the big stage before he's been in the finals two years ago. Uh, where he had some monster games, had 40 points, 13 assists, and 11 rebounds in one game against LeBron and won, and then followed that up with 34, 35 points, 11 assists, and 12 rebounds in another game against LeBron and won in the NBA Finals. Whereas Luca, this is the furthest he has ever been. So he is officially in uncharted waters from here on out. That's not to say that he won't throw down a few 40-point games and just kind of establish himself over again uh, but I think I'm, I'm going with Butler just in the sense of I've, I've already seen Butler deliver in the biggest possible moments. Whereas uh, now you pointed out, yeah, game seven on the road against the best team in the league. So, so we're starting to get there. 
with Luca, but I, I just feel like the experience factor of Butler is, is, is why I, I'm leaning his, his way. Yeah. And I think, you know, this, this is one of those scenarios where, you know, you think about going way back to Michael Jordan, um, you know, the, the epic game that he had against the Boston Celtics, uh, you know, way back in the day, what was it? 63 points against Larry Bird in the Celtics. Yeah. Um, ulti- ultimately the, you know, the Bulls lost that series, but there was no doubt in anybody's mind who the best player was in that, uh, in that game and in that series. And I, I think that's kind of the way I'm feeling right now about Luca. Maybe that, that might be a, a hyperbolic comparison, but I think to me, Luca is the best player left in the series, whether or not he has enough around him to get it done. You know, maybe Dinwiddie can, can uh, make up the difference, but uh, to me, he's the best player, but, uh, you know, fair point. Jimmy's definitely got um, the, the resume to say, Hey, he can deliver on the big stage. All right. I, so I this, think, oh, just one, one more thing on this is I do think that it's unquestioned that Jimmy Butler is the more respected defender of those two players. And I think a big part of if golden state is successful in beating Dallas during the series, part of that is going to be how they figure out how to attack Luca on the defensive end, whereas Jimmy Butler is is probably going to be guarding Jason Tatum a good portion of the time because he's Miami's best defender. So I think that's another. Uh, but you know we could go around in circles all yeah. day again. Each, we, each we team has, has one player that is capable of being yeah. the best player in the in the next and, two rounds. And I think I think Doncic his uh, his defensive ability uh, has improved over the last few years and. I mean, Dallas is is not a bad team defensively. Uh, I think uh, they may be top five. Um, so, you know, whatever they've done to to scheme that out to help, you know, Luca thrive. Um, I think that I don't see that as a liability. But you're you're right. Uh, Jimmy definitely is the superior defensive player right now. All right, here's so this next one is a little similar to the best team overall but maybe maybe there is a nuance here so the best collection of stars overall and you know i i have to confess you know for me as i was kind of coming up with these these topics and these questions for me um what immediately came to my mind is actually boston because you know we had this conversation offline about with boston you don't I mean, Jason, Jason Tatum is really on the verge of being a, a bona fide upper tier superstar. Uh, and maybe this is the series, maybe this is the, the playoffs where that gets cemented. But I think he's been kind of just a, a hair beneath some of the, the mega, you know, ultra watt superstars in the game. But you look at the number of players on that team that can put up 30, 40 points uh, in a game, that to me is, is a pretty impressive collection of stars. But then as I started thinking about it, I'm like, well, how could I even say that compared to, to uh, Golden State with their collection of stars? So I'm a little bit, I'm actually a little bit perplexed as I think about it myself, but Mark, what, where do you stand on this? 
Yeah, and I think we were just reversed in our thinking. The reason why I had Boston as the best team is because I see them as the team that doesn't have any obvious liabilities. Um, they've got depth at different positions. They seem to have a, a pretty solid bench, as we saw in the closeout game against Milwaukee. Um, they've got stars that can take over the game. I, I put Golden State in this category, where I think that collection of stars, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Jordan Poole now, even Andrew Wiggins, uh, who's a starter in the all-star game and is like the fifth best player now on the Warriors. Uh, I think in crunch time, in a decisive game, that's probably the group of players I trust most on the floor to come up with a couple big plays, to go on like a 13 to two run to seal a game, to do those sorts of things. I put Boston in kind of a different tier because I think uh, Boston, to me, seems like they kind of check a few more boxes, whereas the Warriors, they don't have any depth in the front. You made originally about the Warriors, they are the team with the experience. Uh, Miami has some, certainly Jimmy Butler and, and a couple of those guys were in the finals. But Golden State is, is the team that has guys that have multiple championship rings. And Boston does not have that. Dallas does not have that. Uh, and Miami doesn't really have that at all. So that, that could be the decisive factor here uh, in a series coming up. Okay, so um, we talked about the best team overall, best player overall, best collection of stars overall. And you, you may end up going back to the same well on this last question, but which of these four teams has the best chance of winning it all? So, man, I'm, I'm a little more hesitant to say Boston here. Like if I'm a betting person, it's not really a smart bet to bet on Boston after they've lost game one. You kind of want to see if they, if they come back and win game two, feels like a little safer bet because they – they now kind of have home court advantage through the rest of the series. So um, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to pull the Warriors is they, they have home court advantage now against Dallas. If they end up playing Boston, they would have home court advantage in that series as well. The only way they wouldn't have home court advantage is if Miami were to win. So there's part of me that thinks all things being equal maybe just keep riding the Warriors in that championship experience. But I also know having married into a Warriors family, that that, that could be my, my own bias talking. And it does feel, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little, little skeptical about betting against Luca after what we've seen from him the first two rounds. So I think I, I would do a slight, uh, slight bet on the Warriors as the favorite, just because Boston is already in a, in a one game hole. I think, um, you know, I would love to check in on this after both teams have played games one and two to kind of see how we're feeling about their chances. Cause the Warriors need to win both, both home games to really, you know, keep that momentum going. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, you mentioned earlier about Boston that you didn't really see them having a weakness or a vulnerability. And I think on the court, that's probably really true. Although I think probably Boston's biggest vulnerability is the head coach. Ime Adoka uh, is doing a great job, but 
stacking him up against a Steve Kerr or an Eric Spolstra, um, to me, I think that is a, a disadvantage for this Boston Celtics team that he just doesn't have. I mean, he's, he's a part of the Greg Popovich school of coaching, but he doesn't have that personal head coaching uh, experience in this type of environment. So I think for that reason, I am also going to go with the Golden State Warriors um, to, to, to ride that home court advantage, to get past a very talented um, superstar, rising superstar. But I think this is, this is the case of Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish being too much for Michael Jordan um, in this series. Maybe in two or three years from now, Luca has built the team around him that he needs to be able to run all the way to the, you know, to the, the championship. But I don't think he's got enough horses right now to make that happen. So I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors. They've got the experience. They've got the players still in their prime. They got a young gun who's going to bring some extra juice. But to me, the, the, the one piece that kind of seals the deal is the, the difference in the head coaching experience between uh, Emeka Odoka and uh, Steve Kerr. So that's, that's where I'm going to go. Uh, but uh, Mark, this has been good. We've got uh, plenty to talk about next week when we get back together on the Dog and Duck Show. Any final thoughts before we wrap this baby up? Yeah, one one final thought here, Warren, because you mentioned Ime Udoka, and it, and that brings up an interesting subplot between him and Eric Spolstra uh, on the coaching front. Both of these guys grew up in Portland, Oregon. Eric Spolstra went to Jesuit High School. Ime Udoka went to Jefferson High School. Uh, Spolstra went to the University of Portland. Udoka went to Portland State University. And so there is a really interesting connection of these two coaches that have come out of Portland, both playing high school ball and, and college ball in the city of Portland, and now find themselves coaching against one another in the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's just a, a fun little wrinkle that uh, Oregonians like myself are, are going to be interested to follow as well. The dream of the 90s is alive in Portland. <laughs> uh, way to go. Way to go. No, that's, that's a great uh, little subplot in the in the storyline you know with both these guys being from portland do you have any special allegiance towards one over the other no not i mean uh yes i do just based on the fact that so eric spolster went to jesuit which is a, a private high school every sport across the board uh when i was a senior in high school we played jesuit in the state title game and lost to them in devastating fashion. Uh, both of us were undefeated going into the game, and I still haven't gotten over it. So uh, whereas Jefferson High School, where Ime Udoka went, is more of kind of an urban school with a really strong basketball tradition. Some, some great players have come out of Jefferson High School. And so uh, just as I think, I think a lot of Oregonians would rather see a guy from Jefferson beat a guy from Jesuit. All righty. Well, uh, Spolster said he had his time. I'm, I'm more than glad to see uh, Udoka take, uh, take this thing to the, the finals. But all right, well, with that, we'll wrap it up. For all my dog fans out there, go dogs. And for all my duck fans, go ducks. We'll catch you next time.